Andre is a missionary and he's a pastor in Russia. And he tells stories how officials come to his worship services and they disrupt it and they begin walking around and asking everybody for their first and last name as they're writing it down and they look at the parents and they tell them we're going to get your kids addicted to drugs and then they try to take a form out to, to have everybody sign that professes their love for the Russian country and the leaders and of course people refuse to sign it which only puts them on a watch list to be further harassed. In the past year, China has shut down more than 100 churches. Very similar to Russia. They, they bully them. They try to force them to sign documents where they express their devotion to the leader of China. Ultimately, what they're trying to do is get the churches to register with the state as an officially sanctioned church, which only means they get to tell you what to say, when to meet, what to, and, and, and how to go about things. So they refuse to do that because they don't believe that the church should be connected with the state. They, too, are trying to get them to force to sign documents. They're shutting buildings down. They're imprisoning their pastors. They're detaining people for long periods of time. All of this trying to scare the church. But what ends up happening is when they close one church, they just choose to go outside and meet. And when they can't meet outside, they just find house churches to meet in. And what we see is that the gospel is growing in China faster than any other country out there right now. The Lord's will is being done. There's a news article here uh, not too long ago. just says uh, Christianity is the world's most persecuted religion. Another one just saw... A few weeks ago, persecution of Christians skyrockets worldwide as 360 million are oppressed. So many out there. Another one, death doesn't stop persecuted churches from multiplying in South Asia. In fact, I'd love to tell you a story about a, a man named Kahan. And Kahan, for whatever reason, was injured and he could not walk for many months and so a group of friends decided to, to pick him up and take him to a house church locally. Sounds like a story in the Bible some of us know, doesn't it? And, and they take him to that house church, and when he's there, he hears the gospel for the first time, and he prays to receive Jesus Christ. During that time, he decides to ask a question to the pastor, and he says, can you heal me? And the pastor's answer is, we don't know, it's God's work. He wasn't doubting he was just saying God chooses to heal when God chooses to heal and who he chooses to heal but that church came around Kahan and they prayed for him and they worshiped and that afternoon Kahan walked home on his own down the dirt road but the story doesn't end there with that amazing gift and the blessing that the Lord had given him, he walked all the dirt roads around him and he went into the local villages and communities and just told them the story of how God healed him. He shared the gospel with them. In fact, in one town he talked to hundreds and more than 80 people prayed to receive Christ that evening. He launched a church out of his home, but in doing so he got the attention of the Hindu authorities around him. And one morning, while just running some errands, someone came by and hit him with a bat in the back of the head, and he died instantly. That church he started in his home, in just the last couple years, has planted five other churches as well. And God's work continues to be done. Why do I bring all these stories up? 
Well, it's because another article kind of slipped by my desk here a couple weeks ago. And it said, why are so many choosing couches over pews? This is in America, of course. In fact, quoting it uh, from the Christian Post, it had this to say. It said, according to the Pew Research, though nearly all houses of worship had resumed regular in-person services by this time last year, disappointingly, few Christians had actually returned. Apparently, large numbers of people who once identified as Christians have decided they no longer need to attend church. And we're in a teaching series where the focus is worship. And, and we focused, you know, we opened up with Pastor Bob in week one, we defined worship, and then we moved towards the flow of worship as we looked at tabernacle worship and how we move closer to God. And then last week we talked about the postures of worship, and God's been working in a mighty way. But if we step back, each of these is really kind of focused on vertical worship, which you want to do. Worship is about God. But there's another aspect of worship that we have to remember that we've already talked about, which is it's horizontal as well, which means we were created as a church to live in community and worship together. We're not to forsake the gathering of the saints. And that's the one I want to look at today. And the, the word oftentimes that the Bible uses is fellowship. And, and the Greek in it was, is koinonia. And we could spend some time today kind of dissecting that word. What does koinonia mean exactly? But the truth is I've already preached a couple of those sermons before in the last seven years. In fact, if you take dashboard indicators, that's a part of the class. It's in a chapter in the book. And so we have other environments in which we can talk about it. And the truth is, you know what, I've been church long enough. I could give you an amazing self-help TED Talk right now on four great reasons why you should return back to church. I know it would inspire at least two of you. <laughs> but if I were to talk about why I think our gatherings are important. I guess the Lord put on my heart to come at it from a different direction today. I think there's a lot of people in the world that go to church at risk of their life and their reputation and their family being harmed. And I guess I want to take a moment and ask, are we taking our worship gatherings seriously? Or uh, has this become kind of ho-hum? Maybe something we just kind of mark off of our list and move on with life. In fact, let me ask the, the tougher question. This one might hit a little harder, but is it possible in this country in our wealth and our comfort and, and our consumeristic ease that we have begun taking our worship gatherings for granted? You say, oh, pastor, you're stepping on my toes. I know, that's what I do. But I think worship's about the heart, and we've got to continually ask, what does your heart say about God and your devotion towards God? And man, I, I've heard the excuses. I've been doing this a while. I mean, I get them all. I'm, I'm too tired. Um, church isn't important. My faith is private. Pastors out there are behaving badly. Y'all are all about money. You know, I got my feelings hurt. But can I be super, really, really honest with you for a moment? When you hear those excuses for not 
gathering together publicly and not coming to church. And then you listen to those stories. Aren't you just a little bit embarrassed? You know what I mean? Doesn't that make you a little bit uncomfortable? When there's people who pay the ultimate price, put their lives on the line. Does this convict you just a tad? Does me. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you want to turn your Bibles there or use your electronic device, that's great. Um, we'll be putting it on the screens as well, so you follow along whatever way you're comfortable with. I'm glad you're here. If you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, the writer is talking to a church that is being scattered and persecuted, and they're running for their lives, and, and the writer is trying to remind them of who they are and what they believe and, and their foundations that they can place their faith upon. So it's a book written to persecuted Christians in the first century. And as we jump into this, I kind of want to remind us back to a couple weeks ago, we talked about tabernacle worship, and we looked at some of the, the instruments and the flow of worship in the temple and why that was important. And I only bring that up today because you're going to see some of that language in the verses that we're talking about today. So I'm hoping to be able to tie some of those things back in together. If you have not heard that sermon, I encourage you to go back. It's week two of this series and listen to it this week. We put them all on Spotify. They're online uh, on YouTube as well. But this author's writing to a church that, that's crying out and they're running and they're having doubts and trying to stabilize it. But in Hebrews 10 verse 19, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So right here, as we stay on that verse, you know, we're reminded of that language we used a couple weeks ago, and he's giving us some of that imagery, of course, when we talk about in there that we can enter the most holy place. Well, we talked about when you entered the tabernacle, you entered the temple, there was really two rooms inside. The, the first room was the holy place, the next room was the most holy place, or many of you know it by its other name, the Holy of Holies at that point. It is where the Ark of the Covenant stood, and uh, there was always a very thick curtain in front of it. The high priest only went inside once a year for the sins of the people. But you can see some of that being mentioned here and kind of gives you a glimpse of what the inside there would look like. He's using temple language here. But he also talks about that great curtain between the Holy of Holies. And notice in this picture, this was so great. Notice it's open and you can see the Ark of the Covenant. And although it wasn't there, the image, though, that this is making is that when Jesus died, there was a thunderstorm, there was an earthquake, and, and it tells us that the curtain in the temple was split in two. And that was symbolic of the fact that from now on, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished on the cross, you may approach God with boldness and confidence. Jesus made the way. That's the good news. And he's reminding them of that as he's talking to them. And so as he continues on in verse 21, he ends up saying, he says, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, anybody out there, who is the great priest over the house of God? Do you know? 
You don't have to guess. This is like Sunday school. What name would you just throw out? Jesus, right? You're like, what eats nuts, kind of crawls on the ground, fours, and they're like, Jesus. No, but still, good guess, though, in Sunday school. And here, that's actually the right answer. Jesus. Since we have Jesus as our high priest, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so remember when we used that flow, we talked about how you prepare outside the, the court and then you come inside and you confess. But then you would sacrifice an animal and the blood of that animal would be placed on the four horns of the temple, lifting that sacrifice up to God for the forgiveness of sins. But he's using the language now, uh, that was what the altar sacrifice looked like. He's using the language now that's sprinkled on our hearts, that no longer is the sacrifice of animals needed. Jesus Christ is our one true sacrifice who died for the sins of all humankind. We don't need that any longer. But what the priest would do after that, after sacrificing or putting the blood on the horns, he would then go to the bronze laver uh, where he would wash himself. And that's the next slide if you want to go to that one, if you could. And the bronze laver then, he would wash his face, he would wash his hands, he'd wash his feet because you cannot enter the temple impure or unclean. So you wash up, but notice in this verse, he's using that imagery here. He's saying that we have the assurance that faith faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience. That's the picture of that altar sacrifice. And then having our bodies washed with pure water, which is this bronze labor. All of these symbols pointed towards Jesus in the Old Testament. But I remind us once again that the people the author is talking to are running for their lives, are being persecuted and they're being killed for their faith. So what does he say next to them after establishing, hey, don't forget this about your faith? He says, let us then hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And what does he say after that? Not giving up on meeting together. Did you catch that? Don't give up on meeting together. And he concludes with, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So he's saying, stay focused on the goal. He's reminding them God's word and his promises are faithful and true. He's saying, remember to love each other. And through all the noise and all the distractions, don't forget to love each other. Not just love each other, but love your enemy as well. Encourage one another through this time. And ultimately, keep producing fruit. Do good deeds. Why? Because Jesus told us, it is by your fruit that they will know that you are our disciple of mine. Keep producing fruit and love. But what does he tell us right there towards the end that is so important to us today? Don't give up meeting together. The Bible confirms here our public gatherings and our coming together are biblically important. And we must not forget that. And yes, apparently this, as some are in the habit of doing, has been a problem for 2,000 years. (laughs) 
He's reminding this group of people, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And so for those struggling out there, I need to have a tough talk with you for just a second. So give me some grace. But I think there's three things we need to be reminded of today. First one's this. There is no perfect church out there. Okay? In fact, the very nature of church is a bunch of messy people who get together in one place together to worship. Guess what happens when a bunch of messy people all show up in one place to do life together? Messy stuff. That's what messy people do. That's why people are like, I I can't go to the church. There's just so many messed up people. And I'm like, man, we got room for one more. Before you get a big head and think you're not in that category. Yes, church is messy people. And when messy people get together, messed up stuff happens. Somebody is going to say something here that you're not going to like. It may even hurt your feelings. Somebody is going to do something that will hurt you. I promise you... That is the beautiful mess called church. It's a bunch of imperfect, messy people who have nothing to brag about except Jesus Christ. What that means, though, is this. You've been hurt. Somebody's done something. What I'm saying is this, I guess, (laughs) as blunt as I can. For some of you, you need to put your big boy and big girl pants on and you need to get up, you need to get to church, you need to forgive someone as Jesus Christ forgave you. Is that about as blunt as I can put it? And I know we live in a culture of participation trophies and, and, you know, take care, Johnny, you know, be nice and everything. But I don't have any other way but to say it bluntly. When you choose to not forgive somebody else, what are you saying about the forgiveness Christ gave you? People are going to hurt your feelings. Grow up, forgive, and get back to church, okay? I love you just enough to tell you the truth. The second thing is this. For Christians out there, stop apologizing for the church. We talked about this last week. God doesn't need you to defend the church. And even more importantly, this thing called church is the bride of Christ, When you speak badly, you are talking badly about the bride of Christ. It would do us well to all remember that and pay attention to our words. Speak lovingly and supportive. We don't need to apologize to the culture, okay? I get it. People do dumb things. I know, but I don't have to own it. I believe worshiping together is the most important thing we can do. And as I'll say it again, that worship is truly a condition of the heart, but you're going to have to wrestle with today. Then if it is a condition of the heart or is a display of my heart, what is my heart saying about this God and his church? I loved what Martin Luther had to say. He said, at home in my house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and breaks its way through. I love that. And it's so true. And so I end with one more warning. Your faith 
is not a private affair. You may have been told that, and if you were told that, it was a lie. Church, by its very nature, is the people of God, not the person. When Jesus talked to the churches in Revelation, seven churches that he sent letters to, he didn't send it to a person, he sent it to the people, the church. It was completely unheard of. Hear me on this, okay? Last thing. It was completely unheard of to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the first century and not be connected to a local church. It was foreign. And it's still true today. Your faith is not a private affair. It is a life lived out in a community of believers who choose to worship their king unashamedly and spread the message of hope and healing like fire in a world of darkness that so desperately needs to hear it. And I got your excuses and I hear it, but I got to tell you this, there are millions of people out there that need Jesus Christ and too many Christians are putting their life on the line, getting that message out there for us to sit around and sulk about the silly excuses that we have. It's time to get back to church. And it's time for us to grow because there's over 500,000 people in Des Moines that need to know Jesus. And it's time for us to get busy and get to work. Let's pray.